We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another installment of The Truth Perspective. I'm your host, Elon Martin, and today is January the 16th, 2016. In with me in the studio today is SOT editor Shane Lachance. Hello, everybody. Harrison Coley. Hi, everyone. And Dave. How's it? (laughs) So today's theme is provocation towards destruction. And the blurb that we have up on Blog Talk Radio reads, The occupation in Oregon, U.S. military infringement on Iran's waters, media perception creation of immigrants in Cologne. What do these and other stories we've been reading all have in common? Again and again, by hook or by crook, we continue to see the forces of governments media, and the Western-influenced militaries seeking to covertly and overtly divide and conquer the cohesion and cooperation of normal human beings. How and why is this being done? And how can we battle such an insidious set of influences that so many are so largely affected by but are unaware of? So today we'll be talking a little bit about provocation, all of these things that seem unconnected in the news that do have a very strong connection in uh, affecting the ways that people think and respond and react uh, to given events. Uh, It's a kind of a um, mass-induced hypnosis, a a societal uh, uh, shaping of uh, where certain powers and influences want to direct people in mass. And... um, To start this off, in honor of Martin Luther King Day on Monday, um, we have a little quote uh, that David's going to read by MLK that kind of sets the tone for a lot of this, I think. David? The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Um, and I think it's safe to say we're living in times of challenge and controversy. Yeah, so we're we're all kind of measuring ourselves um, right now, or if we're even aware of uh, of the possibility that we can measure ourselves. Of course, it's kind of hard to to do that without um, outside um, feedback, but. Uh, Certainly, we can pay attention to our thoughts and attitudes when we read these stories in the news and and take certain positions and um, and value information uh, that sets us on one course or another. Well, uh, that that quote from uh, Martin Luther King, you know, I think is uh, apt today because you know it talks about uh, the positive response that you know, we could potentially have towards 
provocation. Now, usually provocation is, is designed to make us react in you know, the way that the uh, provocateur, the bully, wants us to respond. Uh, and, you know, our, our flight or fight response kicks in, um, you know, and, and we're very easily controlled uh, through that. Now, when MLK says that you know, the ultimate measure of man is not where he stands of moments of comfort and convenience, but where he st- stands at times of challenge and controversy. Now, the challenge that we're talking about today is the the provocation. Uh, later in that quote, uh, he talks about uh, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? And I think that in that statement too, we can get an idea of you know how we can fo- how we can focus our attention to not basically get in that reactive mode. Um, I wanted to get a little bit into the psychology of you know what it means to be provoked, and I'm sure you know growing up, most people have had experiences of you know some bully and trying to provoke you and you know kids who who taunted us or, or teased us called us names and and you know maybe pushed us around and you know you can imagine uh, imagine some of those bullies you know just growing in physical stature not necessarily any other development but you know just growing in body just purely physical and they but still retaining you know that same schoolyard mentality and you know it seems that they they find uh different costumes to wear and different disguises to put on you know they might um they might be uh they might wear the disguise of a psychologist or a um a teacher or a a police officer and you know oftentimes these these uh predatory types do go into these uh helping these so-called helping professions uh and we see them there um I know when uh, I, I talked a little bit on a previous show that I had yeah uh some I, I worked at a, a boy shelter and there were lots of um bullies there, not just the kids but the uh the, the actual um the workers, mm-hmm. child care workers. And um you know, so I got to see some of the the dynamics with, with bullying. Now, it is a little different with um, with cases of power when, uh, you know, an adult has pretty much, you know, absolute power over a child. Um, then the, you know, I, I think the, the, the terms can change a little bit. And, you know, I think we'll, we'll get into that when, in a little bit. But... Um, but I wanted to I wanted to look at this this uh, these things that they create, which is this this reaction where we're forced to react from uh, provocation, um, and and in this um, sorry let me just find where I'm at in my notes here. Um, well, Shane, let me interrupt you for just a second because, and I just have to say this: it's something that that's been said here on the show using this kind of analogy previously uh, again and again we're seeing that you know these types these bullying types who 
you know, we've identified in individuals, uh, this analogy can be made to much larger right. phenomena right. Uh, on a global scale. Uh, you know, you could say that uh, the, the personification of a bully has been expanded or blown up into whole nations, whole governments, whole, um, whole groups doing this to other uh, groups of individuals. Well, that, yeah, that's the thing. Like, so many of our interpersonal dynamics can relate to, you know, macro social systems. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, our relationships and and the things that we learn growing up. You know, all those things are so often applied, um, you know, at, at on larger scales, and uh, that's the kind of thing I wanted to get at with with uh, with the bullying. So we have these different responses, right? When I, I think when we initially look at this uh, bully victim dynamic, we look we focus on the surface things, mm-hmm. right? So we see how you know the victim responds. There's the the you know some may choose to fight uh, if they have you know sufficient um, the the fortitude and they're prepared. You know, they, they may choose to, to, to fight. Typically, bullies don't go after, uh, overtly, they don't go after, you know, the, the, the type who is able to fight back. Um, you know, and instead, if they want to go after this, you know, somebody who is able to fight back, they'll uh, do things more covertly, which, you know, would be to, you know, start rumors and, you know, tell lies and making life as difficult for, you know, the person as possible in covert ways. And, you know, that, that's pretty much how we see uh, the U.S. acting uh, in, in relationship with uh, with Russia and, and China. Um, you, you just said something else that was kind of interesting. and uh, I forget the word you used just now, but um, it, it suggests to me that there's this drive uh, that might seem almost, you know, you could apply it to everyone's been bullied or harassed or antagonized at some point in their lives by someone and has had that experience, but to kind of uh, extrapolate that to these larger uh, events uh, seems to be um, uh, a big leap without knowledge of how covertly uh, certain groups can behave. And, um, you know, it's like, well, why would they do this unless, for instance, uh, Iran wasn't a threat? You know, there's, there's just this without this kind of broader scope of information that. Uh, well, that's that's a narrative, though, right? I mean, when we when we think about the schoolyard, mm-hmm. you know, do, we're not as children. We're not usually rationalizing. Well, you know, that bully has a. Now they must be doing this for a reason. Yeah, as children, we pretty much recognize that this person is a bully, but we develop these narratives uh, that they're driven into us because this 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 behavior has become part of the norm. Uh, and you know, I think uh, even a part of perhaps the the bystander effect, um, which which is you know this this idea that um, people who are witnessing you know a uh, 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 and a, some type of abuse um, are are less likely to to help until somebody else does, and you know this is this, this diffused responsibility thing. Um, 
And you know, I think that that, that touches on you know some uh, some fairly un- unconscious issues that probably most people in uh, the Western world have uh, growing up in you know just a you know, just this nar- these narcissistic dynamics. Um, but to to get back to these these patterns that we that we have in response to provocation. So one that we just talked about was was to to actually fight back, um, and that's that's more rare now because um, one we don't have you know the the powers when we're talking about this on the global level yeah you know, the powers are so strong um, uh, the U S you know has so much power over other nations that other nations don't have the capacity. Most nations don't have the capacity to be able to fight back. Mm-hmm. Uh, those that do... Well, um, Shane, let me interrupt for a second. Because you're talking, at first you started out with uh, with the bully example. Well, one of the reasons that bullies often provoke their victims, like on the schoolyard, is to get their victim to throw the first punch. And then, so that's, and so they end up, uh, their victim at, ends up being the one that gets in trouble with the teacher or the, right. or the principal, right? So the bully knows right. that's going to happen, and they're, they're provoking, they're taunting this, this other kid, and they're staying within the limits of what they know is, you know, uh, behavior that won't necessarily get them in trouble. So even if they're acting like total jerks, they, they just push the limits to the extent where, where the other kid will get so angry and he'll throw the first punch, the kid will get in trouble, and the bully will go, go home laughing because he achieved his purpose. So I think this is another dynamic that we see on the in geopolitics. It's the the provocation to get the other person or the other country to act out in an aggressive way that can either then be used as an excuse to then obliterate that country or to to have um, to just taint their image in the in uh, in basically internationally in public opinion as this aggressive state. So we've seen provocations like this with MH17 in Ukraine against Russia. And we see this, uh, we, Turkey did the same thing um, in Syria with downing the, the Russian jet. And then we see it with, with China, the U.S. flying provocatively close to those man-made uh, islands of China's in the South China Sea. And, you know, they give the excuse, oh, well, you know, we can fly wherever we want in international waters. Well, if you look how large the planet is and how, many, how, how much international water there actually is, it's it's a ridiculous excuse because they're deliberately flying as close as possible to these islands in order to get a rise out of China. So I just think that's a that's one dynamic to keep in mind when uh, when we're thinking about it in terms of geopolitics. Yeah, I think I think that's spot on, Harrison. Um, that that is like one of the key uh, manipulations that you know, uh, that the powers that be use. Um, you know, they'll they will try to taunt in order to get the other person to act out aggressively and then point the finger and say, hey, see, yeah. look, yeah, that that is who the aggressive party is, and that's who, you know, people should be shaming and turning their attention on. Um, the, um, the, other, the other two dynamics I wanted to talk about in terms of just the victim-bully dynamic was the, the uh, freeze response, which you know, uh, is basically when a victim dissociates uh, under a threat and you know they're unable to ward off attacks so they basically end up accepting uh, the abuse and I think this can be seen in the case of you know, many of the, the vassal states that have um, basically accepted you know, United States dominance 
uh, and end up being pawns being uh, used in, in a larger game, um, which is the instance for you know so many of the the countries in the South China Sea, for example, that you, know, you just brought up. Um, and and then the third the third um, dynamic can be to flee. You know, there's the fight, flight, or or uh, fight, freeze, or flight. So um, this this fleeing response, you know, I don't know if we can apply it too much um, to the international scene, but uh, you might say that you know there could be a case for um, countries like Cuba, uh, who have chosen to try to block as much as possible the just the immense pressure that you know the United States has has put on them uh, over the years. Um, so, so there's there's these types of things that we can see in a direct uh, uh, or indirect con- con- uh, confrontation. But I al- the, I think there's another factor here too that is is also important, which is uh, the role of the observers, uh, the people who you know are basically surrounding the situation and able to um, to see the abuse. Now, what often happens is that um, you know people choose not to see it. Uh, to you know, they choose to kind of put their heads down and you know focus on you know what they what they were doing um, and you know try not to um, you know get involved. And I think that this uh, this dynamic is 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 really important because you know it, it adds a really subtle but extremely powerful uh, way of controlling uh, the those groups. Um, well, those groups are fearful that they will exactly. then become the victims of the bully, and so you know, right. you know, I think everybody's kind of had the experience of seeing something like that, and you know, unless you um, unless you're fairly courageous or or have a kind of grasp of the dynamic in that kind of uh, bully scenario that you presented, Shane. Uh, you know that there might be a tendency to keep one's head down or, or find other strategies for not becoming a target oneself. Exactly. And that really comes back to your um, MLK quote of a few minutes ago, David. You know, it's it, it's um, it, it's finding the wherewithal to, in some way, uh, resist, uh, if only speaking out against. Uh, Against this dynamic that we're seeing that's affecting so many right now well the the unfortunate thing too is when people do you know try to avoid and you know put their heads down and um kind of deny what's going on is over time, I think you know we end up uh identifying with uh the the bullies and you know the the provocateurs and um you know seeing them you know it, over time we get it becomes twisted. It's like a Stockholm syndrome mm-hmm. type thing, and and we begin not to see uh, the actions for for what they are, uh, and and then and then you know there are the other observers who like like and and get you know get something out of uh, seeing people suffer and will join in you know with the or rally uh, the the bully, and you know we can see that with a lot of the authoritarian follower types. Well, maybe that's a, a good launching point for a discussion of what we've been seeing in Oregon of late. 
with this occupation. Um, you know, it, it seems that there are these, um, there are ranchers and folks who, uh, you know, there's a gray area sometimes um, between what, uh, what the government's been doing in uh, in holding on to or um, or protecting certain uh, tracts of land in certain areas uh, and and what people who live there and um, and do and and what their livelihood is depends upon uh, you know what they feel is um, acting in defense of their own rights but um, in any case we've seen quite a lot of um, uh, bubblings and and, uh, and and rumors of of war, uh, in the sense of of these individuals uh, in Oregon and and the federal government, um, kind of coming to loggerheads about uh, about whose right is to do what, and um, and it. You know, as you were saying, it, it seems as though right now there are people who are going in there and and taking advantage uh, or um, capitalizing on uh, this this kind of uh, discontent. Um, and uh, this goes into all kinds of different directions, but uh, it it might just be the spark that um, that kind of leads to a much greater conflict here in the U.S. Yeah, um, Eric Dreitster, who you know is usually you know, he, he's um, I think fairly academic and um, I don't know if the right word is conservative, um, just in terms of his analysis. You know, he, he's uh, he, he he's he's not one. He doesn't he doesn't go into uh, conspiracies too often. Um, but in this, he, he had a threat, or he had a, an article uh, pretty recently. Uh, it's on, it's the best of the web, uh, up on the site right now. It's called uh, "Agents Provocateur." Is the Oregon occupation being stage managed? And he makes uh, a, a really good case, and you know he uses a good amount of humor, um, and you know wearing his tinfoil hat. But he is, you know, he is laying uh, a, a good. Uh, framework for you know what looks to be you know a, a conspiracy for provoking people. Um, the you know he he kind of outlines uh, several of the um, people involved uh, in, in in these events, and you know it, it seems like they have this history uh, of you know uh, well one guy for example. Ryan Payne, uh, he was this this army intelligence officer, and you know he was also involved in the Bundy Ranch. And um, I had a quote uh, from Dreitster. Um So this army intelligence veteran who was involved in organizing the militia in both the Bundy Ranch episode as well as this latest armed occupation in Oregon. Uh, from others' description of, of the event, Ryan Payne was an essential player. Um, uh, actually, this was uh, that was my writing. <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, uh, Dreister writes, but don't take it from me, Gary Hunt, a right-wing pro-militia blogger writing at Canada Free Press, had this to say about Payne. So, the, and this is what uh, Payne provided to 
think it was like the um uh, ah, I forget the organization, but um he said that pain provided uh meteor uh, he provided service at Bunkerville, the Bunny Ranch standoff in two thousand fourteen holding off the chaotic masses or the mass of militia and molding them into a cohesive force. Uh, that doesn't sound like some Johnny come lately just trying to be part of a cool anti-government action. Instead, it sounds like an intelligence operator, someone coordinating actions and groups and maintaining operational security among other responsibilities. Uh, in short, pain appears from all indications to be a focal point in both episodes. Well, what's interesting is, um, you know, you have these right-wing, um, and maybe maybe that's not even a an accurate description of them, but you have these groups, these militia groups in the U.S., the Three Percenters and the Oath Keepers. And um, basically, uh, you know, these are these are folks. A lot of them former military, uh, former police, um, who are trying to take a stand for the Constitution in the U.S. And so um, what they're seeing happening right now uh, in the U.S. is that people's constitutional rights are being infringed, and they're organizing themselves to, um, to resist in some form or another. And so it's, it's these very folks... Um, who, you know, some of them may be well-intended, some of them not, but a lot of them are coming out and pointing to guys like Payne and saying, uh, and others, and saying, you know, they are not one of us. They're not, they've, they've associated themselves with our movement. They've come in uh, to these situations, uh, like the Oregon occupation and, and uh, the Bundy Ranch standoff of last year, uh, they're insinuating themselves and basically trying to light a match. Um, well, and yeah, and that's the question too. How you know how will they respond? What is their you know what is their mentality like? It, well, yeah. So I mean, well, Dave, you're, you're from you're from that area, right? And you're kind of familiar with some of these folks. Well, I I think in the case of like the ranchers themselves, I think they're just simple people. You know, they're just trying to make a living ranching, they want to be left alone, raise their families, practice whatever religion they like. It seems like these issues come up, and then you got these, you know, like this pain individual who come in, right, and start to stir it up, mm -hmm. right? And they bring in the guns and the violence, right? That's, yeah, I think... I think that's a good point because, you know, a lot of these people, yeah, they you know, they just want to live their lives. And and then you do have these corrupting forces that come in and you know, really drive people uh to, you know, um you know, it it doesn't even it doesn't it doesn't take a lot either. You know, it just takes, you know, one rabid nutter, right, among, you know, many, you know, fairly well-intentioned people. To to you know light the spark. Yeah, look at the Hammond family themselves. They they don't want any of this, right? They're you know they're like saying we don't want this. We just want to serve out our sentences and get back to our life, right? So now you got you know uh, Bundy's son up there. Whether he's conscious or not, you know he's surrounded by these guys like Payne and some of these other ones. They're inciting them, 
And, and just to give a little background, I, I think um, with the with the Hammonds in particular, if I have this correct, um, you know, there was some uh, at some point, you know, one of the Hammond family had um, had lit a fire and uh, part of his land that encroached upon government land um, to do some clearing and, and to do some other things uh, that was going to help the environment ostensibly, but uh, overstepped his bounds and 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 so they were uh, sentenced for a few years and of prison and um and so uh becomes this um this much larger event in the minds of some people uh it 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 becomes a a kind of a standoff or a um you know a a place where uh a greater kind of movement can begin uh in the minds of um i think these provocateurs um so, you know, the question becomes, who sent these guys in there? Why are they doing it? Uh, what, what is it, what would creating a larger conflict in, in that area create, ultimately? What would it allow for in the U.S.? And, um, you know, I, I think this, this really goes back towards an anticipation on the part of the U.S. government of a kind of a larger uh, kind of anticipation of civil unrest when the economy finally goes, uh, which it is on the, in the process of doing. It looks like we're on, on our last legs here. Um, a lot of people are going to be uh, very upset that they've been lied to on a number of levels. And, and the government already knows that there are individuals who are going to um, resist the, the conditions that are that are being set up to be foisted upon them, um, possibly camps, uh, FEMA camps, uh, food rationing, um, you know, identification and, and, uh, and being put away for having kind of anti-government sentiment. I mean, it's all there on the books right now. So, and of course we're all familiar by now of the stories of, of, uh, Homeland Security and other agencies buying ridiculous amounts of rounds of ammunition. Um, you know, so uh, it, it, it's all it's all moving towards something. And once again, we're coming back to this kind of bully scenario um, where uh, the government is through provocateurs like the ones you mentioned, Shane. Uh, they're stirring things up. They're trying to. Uh, create the situation that would allow for a, um, you know, a Waco, for instance, situation, or some uh, justification that uh, in the minds of people who are less informed um, would permit them to think that it's okay for the government to go in and, and kill a bunch of people. And, and you know, then there would be, you know, a, a, a call for, you know, increasing... Uh, restrictive legislation and you know all those things that go along with you know incidences like that where you know people end up actually blaming the victim you know it's it's this this situation you know is can be similar to the black lives matters movement because you know what the um the united states is is gearing 
people's minds towards is to see, you know, any kind of dissent um, as as something that that's wrong, that people shouldn't be involved in, and that people need to accept uh, what the authorities say, and you know, just just go along with uh, you know with, with what we're doing, and even make calls to give them more power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like they, you know, there's a lot of disgruntled and angry Americans, and it seems like. The powers that be are trying to channel this energy and direct it a certain way for you know more draconian measures or you know manage this anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know maybe ha- have a few uh, outlets where you know some of the energy you know that it's that pressure valve where they release it every once in a while, um, and and then use that for you know for their for their own purposes. Um, you know when we're talking about uh, this guy Ryan Payne. You know, one of the things that he was uh, saying to, you know, his fellow uh, militia members was, he's like, you know, all men are mortal and uh, pass simply because it's their time, and you know, this this we're blessed with this opportunity uh, because it can be a time uh, in performance of duty. So you know, he's kind of calling for people to put their lives on the line and you know be willing to uh sacrifice sacrifice themselves as mar- martyrs or you know, or even uh turn it around the other direction that you know the uh these FBI agents or whoever you know it's their time to to die basically and it's okay to shoot them um so you know he's yeah creating the, him and along with uh several others uh in in this last uh Oregon occupation episode, you know, it's not just this guy that's involved, mm-hmm. you know, um, they're, they're creating this, this, uh, very dangerous and escalating situation. Yeah. You know, there's another character involved, uh, in the standoff at the moment who, um, you know, you just can't make this stuff up. His name is John Ritzheimer. Uh, and, um, he was actually the organizer and sponsor of the Draw Muhammad contest in Phoenix, Arizona, um, that made headlines several months back. Um, basically, I mean, it, it sounded like a Charlie Hebdo type. You know, it's like, you yeah. know, let's. I mean, you know, he 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 created this event um, to to confront. Uh, the community and the Muslim community um, and sort of bring awareness to the Muslim uh, so-called, you know, threat. Uh, and, and he's, but the bottom line is the guy is a rabble rouser. Yeah. And it's so interesting that, you know, you'd have this character uh, be involved. He's like a spearhead, uh, not only in the events that we're seeing in Oregon right now, but also, you know, that he's that he's tried to create all this divisiveness and xenophobia and Islamophobia around Muslims in Texas, which is clearly, I mean, you know, if that isn't uh, just a, uh, the most obvious case of provocation, um, you know, kind of forming this uh, protest in front of a mosque and 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 basically telling them that they're, you know, they're all evil. Um, I you know I don't know what is it, it's like he's just uh, he's all over the place this guy. Well, it really astounds me to you know see 
so many people so blinded uh by you know the, this this hatred uh towards towards muslims when when it is the west and us who have been you know the uh who 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 have been you know destroying these countries and you know murdering millions of people and you know committing these atrocities and yet we're the the, the direction of focus is is so much to blame uh the muslim population and you know it's just it's just so bizarre to see you know th- this rabidness come out yeah it's it's like straight hatred yeah the other thing that's interesting about this guy Ritzheimer another one of his um his acts was to go on a road trip to new york uh where he was planning to confront the muslims of america organization um and uh apparently um you know it's come out that he was in touch with the FBI throughout the entire trip um you know it, once again uh you have this tie to intelligence agencies among people who are um either being uh set up as patsies um for terrorism in the US uh or now you know, coming out and provoking these larger kind of uh, demonstrations against Muslims. Um, so I think someone in the FBI or someone else, you know, sent down the orders. Guys, you know, start, you know, start your work. This is, uh, it's getting serious here. We have uh, 400 camps we need to fill in, in eight or so months. And uh, and we haven't gotten a, a good rise out of uh out of the Muslim population or the or the militias yet? What are you doing? You know, um, so I think we can expect to see a lot more of this in coming weeks and months. Yeah, I just wanted to make a couple comments on on the whole Oregon thing. Um, Tony Cartolucci had a really good article um, about ten days ago on his Land Destroyer Report website. Um, title was Showdown in Oregon: How to and How Not to Fight Tyranny. And he makes some some good points that we've brought up on the show before in different contexts, uh, mostly in uh, in relation to Syria. But one of the points he makes um, is that whenever we have a kind of um, you know anti-government movement or occupation or um, just the kind of thing like we're seeing in in Oregon with a group of people maybe taking up arms and trying to trying to counter the the U.S. the federal government. Um, it's like they don't um well it's basically a how not to to fight tyranny kind of thing um because for well it's first of all just not getting into the article but like you guys were saying uh like Shane was saying and Elon just earlier on when you have these kinds of movements it's um it's basically a lot of it most of it is going to pro it's uh, it's the authorities basically either allowing something to happen or provoking it in some way or infiltrating it or stage managing it directing it in such a way that it may give people an outlet um in in order to kind of express some of their 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 feelings their negative feelings towards the status quo and the the existing government um or it may be uh, a kind of Waco situation of actually hurting them into, uh, provoking them into uh, an action, or either um, kind of manufacturing that reaction in order to clamp down on it and 
either destroy the movement from within, from without, or just to just to pollute it in some way so that it is totally ineffective. But still, regardless of whether or not this there's any kind of um, kind of nefarious agenda behind these these types of things, and Oregon in particular, they're still going about it in the wrong way. So this is what Cartolucci writes about, and he he does a he makes an interesting point. He brings up just the concepts of insurgency and counterinsurgency, because the U.S. government has um, reports uh, like counterinsurgency guides. The U.S. Army has their counterinsurgency manual, and so he goes through some of the points that they make in this. Because an, an insurgency is basically like a you know a group or a movement that, is, that seeks to take take the power back, basically, or subvert the the existing institutions and replace it with their own. And then the counterinsurgency is the the movement that fights against that to kind of reinstitute the existing powers. Now, he makes the point that you can look at the the insurgencies and counterinsurgencies are very similar and they use the exact same methods. And if you look at it in a certain way, we can see what the federal government is doing and what the the kind of corporatocracy and the the bankers are doing. They are an actual insurgency that that have taken the power away from um, from the real American um, idea or people, and so or the Constitution, they're the ones that are kind of eating away at what America is from the inside. And so, really, we can, or Americans, can look at any kind of movement against that as a counterinsurgency. So it's just a, he's got this clever way of looking at it. But the point he makes about counterinsurgencies from these manuals, these official government manuals, is that any kind of um, of insurgency or counterinsurgency is impossible without several things, and that includes um, the existing services, institutions, organizations, and processes um, that must be controlled in order to establish that political, tactical, and economic pri- uh, primacy. So without any of these things, the counterinsurgency fails. So that includes like essential services. And these are really basic things like police and fire, water, electricity, schools, uh, transportations, medical, sanitation. And without any of these things, you don't, um, your, your counterinsurgency won't work. Now, when you, when you achieve these objectives and when you control these institutions, um, you get um, safe infrastructure and private, sec- and private property, um, You've got all their, the critical positions are staffed, um, all your services are operational, and you've got civil order, and that's basically what any insurgency wants. You don't want total chaos because then you've, then you've lost the, the point of your insurgency. Um, it'll be totally ineffective. You need, um, you need these structures and services in place for economic development. I mean, without that, you're gonna, just going to have a failed state. Um, logistics, communications, these are all things that need to be taken into account and and actively developed. Now, what we see now, n- none of this is going on in Oregon. There's no massive movement. There's no there's no like there's no plan for all these structures. It's just a very tiny thing. And Carlucci makes uh, he, he makes a funny point because there's these pictures of uh, the, the guys in this federal building and the supplies that they have. And it's kind of a funny picture because they've got just a kind of a relatively puny amount of supplies, and it looks like they were all bought at Walmart. So basically, these guys are sustaining their occupation by paying the, by supporting the system that they that they are ostensibly, you know, fighting against. And so 
that's what we see in a lot of these movements is that they're kind of they're short-sighted and they they look at one minor issue but without looking at the total big picture they they will inevitably be totally ineffectual they won't achieve the goals that they set out to achieve so i mean they'll basically be going to walmart and supporting the existing economy from the real insurgency the people that are that are subverting democratic institutions and basically feeding the beast without developing this whole system like from the bottom up then all of these movements will just be um, totally ineffectual. And so that's, uh, I think, that's the, w- when you look at all of this together, then the, the government doesn't even necessarily have to do anything. They can just let this play out and just, um, just move in whenever they want, or they can actively subvert it through infiltration and from stage managing it. Either way, the, the result is the same, and nothing is really going to change. Well, that certainly speaks to why you know it's so easy for you know the, the U.S. to you know just maintain you know its dominance because it does have total control you know over these yeah. institutions and infrastructure and and everything that you spoke about. Um, you know, it mm-hmm. makes me wonder, you know, what you know what could be, you know, is there any kind of possibility for you know any genuine um, movement against that? Any counter counter? counterinsurgency or whatever or whatever and you know w- with with the power that the United States has I I would think probably not um unless everything collapsed <laughs> well um you know it's it's interesting I'm I'm thinking about uh writers that are often um uh whose articles and analyses are are posted to SOT and uh I think there are very few besides Cartolucci Hasp on this larger picture, but one comes to mind is uh, John Whitehead of the Rutherford Institute, who is um, constantly kind of pressing for the awareness of law and and how everything is has been subverted by law um, and and just how uh, incredibly myopic the you know Congress and uh, and the and you know all the institutions of law have been in permitting all of these laws to come on the books that are uh, effectively curtailing freedom um i you know it it's it's a losing battle in one sense because uh i think there are a lot of um um judges who are just kind of going with the political uh you know washington group think of um of of what sh- what is allowable or what is correct or what is uh uh aligned with good law and legislation um but he's bringing awareness at least to how you know these these first steps towards totalitarian um rule have have come into effect well and then you know i think then we have to get into you know just how, what the underlying infiltration is, which is you know that of the psychopaths. Yeah, they're so deeply embedded in our society and in the formation of you know the very structures of our society, like with with law, that you know it, it's until that problem is thoroughly understood and dealt with, you know there 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 can't be any kind. Of and a genuine, um, real human society, I think. Yeah, it's like a, a systemic problem 
that touches upon every uh, institution of governance in the U.S. Uh, you know, if 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 you have Apple, you know, the Supreme Court, um, who are, whose job it is to really know the Constitution and know law and and interpret the spirit of of what the laws uh, were meant to um, protect us from. Uh, and, and what the framers of the Constitution were getting at. You know, if if they're, you know, if they just go by the George Bush philosophy, which is it's just a piece of paper, uh, which effectively they've done, you know, it, it it just makes, it just paves the way for everything that we're seeing today. Well, in getting back to the, the topic, um, unless there's any any. Anything anybody else had on the uh, the Oregon occupation? Um, wanted to go into Iran, and uh, today is maybe <laughs> it's 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 you know these past uh, this past week for the news, you know it was Friday, then it was Saturday, then maybe today will be uh, implement implementation day for. Um, for the sanctions to be lifted uh, for Iran. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I'm sure many of our listeners will remember back in July, uh, the you know there were the meetings in Vienna uh, with uh, the P5 plus one countries, which you know is the U.S. and Britain, France, uh, Russia, etc. And yeah, you know, they formulated this plan for. Iran to uh, develop its nuclear uh, program for for pe- uh, peaceful purposes, and you know it was uh, alongside the uh, UN nuclear agency, um, and you know so they've been going in and monitoring Iran's nuclear program, and uh, they're expected to release that report today, and you know I don't think that there's any going to be any surprises. Uh, in terms of uh, Iran's compliance, and uh, that the report will, will most likely be positive, and so that will mean that you know the European Union um, will be lifting sanctions. Now, the U.S. Uh, has been, you know, I, I think it was maybe about a week or two ago, they started kicking up a fuss about Iran's uh, ballistic missile program. And saying that you know that that's the call <laughs> they're calling for new sanctions, <laughs> basically. Um, and but you know the, that that's that's just more of the same coming from the U.S. And I think it's you know both overtly and covertly, the U.S. has been um, fighting tooth and nail to to keep Iran from uh, gaining the influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, on on the international level, but you know I, I think it can kick and scream as much as it wants to. Um, Iran is emerging as a, a dominant player, and uh, and that's that's essentially why the West and and the U.S., Saudi Arabia, Israel is is so frustrated with Iran because they are taking a leadership role in. Middle East. Now, you know, we know for that the plans have been to try to segment uh, segment as much as possible, and you know, just uh, 
fragmentize uh, the Middle Eastern countries uh, in order to, you know, maintain control. I mean, it, that, that's what that's what the U.S. does, and you know, Iran is 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 really countering that. You know, they they have uh, a, a very a powerful uh, intelligence force, mm-hmm. you know, and in acting against uh, terrorism. You know, they, they've been a good partner with uh, with Russia. Uh, they've they're in uh, Syria. Uh, they're helping Iraq. Uh, you know, they're they're um, they're the ones really fighting along along with Russia. They're really involved in this true fight against terrorism. And you know, as they as they should, like they, you know, it, it makes sense. I mean, ISIS when ISIS attacks people, the main people that they attack are uh, are Muslims, right? And it's just it's just so bizarre. To to see you know so many people in the West uh, that they, they can't see that that you know that that there is this um, that those who are, are um, putting the most out there and you know who, who are you know losing people you know uh, Hezbollah um, in, in in Syria you know they're they're on the ground and and fighting you know these, these terrorists and um, the U.S. doesn't want to see. A, a unified Middle East for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've seen, you know, over over these past uh, couple weeks, all these provocations against Iran. Um, well, that kind of brings us an interesting timing, uh, mm-hmm. considering um, the lifting of sanctions. Exactly. And what happened earlier this week, um, where a couple of uh, smaller U.S. military vessels in Iran's uh, waters um, were just kind of flouting around for 40 minutes, and um, and Iran took them into custody, the personnel there, uh, and, um, and basically was in full contact with U- the U.S. military and political um, offices and saying, you know, we have them in custody. They were in our waters. We're going to release them. Um, but, uh, you know, why were they there to begin with? I mean, uh, the level of – is it really reasonable to think that uh, this was an accident? That, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's what, that's what uh, that they Joe just Biden's kind of, line was, that did, uh, there was mechanical fl- failure and the boats just wandered into <laughs> Iran's uh, waters. <laughs> yes, I mean, give me a break. It, it's absurd. Uh, and, you know, um, anyone kind of observing the situation with some amount of objectivity is, can recognize that this is no accident. Um, what's interesting to me and we'll get into the reaction of a lot of uh, U.S. pundits in the media about this. But what's so interesting is that, you know, the U.S. stood behind Erdogan uh, in his um, in his downing of the Russian jet uh, several weeks ago. Um, but now they make this stupid move uh, provoking Iran, kind of pushing the limits, as Harrison was saying a little while ago, uh, as a bully will do. Uh, into reacting um, aggressively or militarily to this to this uh, to this act, and of course, 
the Iranians kept their head, but it was an opportunity for them to say, um, you guys are trying to provoke us um, to other media outlets that won't make it to here in any case. But, yeah, the, the I would say that the operation failed uh, on the U.S. part. Um, and, you know, they ended up, I think, looking pretty foolish. Um, and because, you know, Iran did, you know, they, they released the videos of the of the, the uh, soldiers that were captured. And, you know, they were, they were all eating. And uh, the U.S. had to issue an apology uh, despite, you know, the various pundits' uh, Getting all red in the face, but um, oh, yeah, yeah I, I'd say it was. Go ahead. That was it. It was interesting to see the the response, like both of you mentioned just in passing, that the the official response from the from government officials has has been relatively low key, same as the Iranians, because the Iranians um, they're going with the story that it was just mechanical failures and everything was good, you know, no real problems here. The, the U.S. government, same thing. They haven't really countered that narrative. They haven't, they haven't um, criticized the Iranian decision like publicly in any kind of harsh terms. But on the other hand, it's been the U.S. media that has been totally blowing it way out of proportion to the extent of calling it Iranian aggression against U.S. So... U.S. Navy goes into international, or not in, from international waters into Iranian waters, Iranian territory, where they are then naturally taken into custody and you know investigated and released. A relatively tame response. There was no, there were no hostages. There was no, um, no military response. Nothing, nothing over the top. It was basically, it was all very reasonable. And yet the, the these pundits in the U.S. media are are treating it as if, you know. It, it was the it was Iranian ships that had come into U.S. waters. Because imagine what would have happened if that were, if that were the case. Uh, the the entire U.S. media would be going totally batshit crazy that uh, that Iran was invading America. Um, mm-hmm. th- there's just a total double standard when it when it comes to these things. But um, um, what's so it's just it's interesting to see these various different responses, especially with the timing of it, um, with the the nuclear report getting released today, and then the 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 sanctions possibly being released. Um, just yesterday, I believe it was, Obama preemptively um, lifted the ban on selling commercial uh, or passenger jets to Iran. So he's kind of making this this overture of, you know, before the, even lifting the, the sanctions in response to this nuclear deal of kind of, of lifting this previous ban. And Iran today released, well, this is still slightly in the rumor Stage, but they uh, apparently released a Washington Post journalist that they'd had in prison for the last year and a half um, under espionage, espionage charges. So it looks like there's this kind of tit-for-tat back and forth of basically playing it pretty reasonably and wanting to see this deal um, succeed. On the other hand, um, well, and if that's the case, if there are some actual Americans that are that genuinely want to see this deal go through and and be a success, there are others that want that want it to fail and want to see these provocations and um, mm-hmm. and want to basically have the the relationship with Iran that, that that they had for decades, which is totally antagonistic. So it's just interesting watching all that play out over the past week. And and really, you know, this is getting back to your um, explication of the the kind of bully, schoolyard bully, modus operandi, Harrison, you know, where where the bully just does just enough 
to uh, or attempts to do just enough to um, rile up his victim, uh, mm-hmm. or and or create the perception that the victim is um, is the aggressor. Uh, you know, if in 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 these psychos' minds, if uh, if Iran had retaliated, it would be a win for the the U.S. Um, yeah. agenda. If but even even now it's kind of a win because in everybody's mind who isn't really paying attention, uh, they have heard Iranian aggression uh, said again. Yeah, and and, um, and in in some of the reports, um, they have like the U.S. media has neglected neglected to mention that the the U.S. Navy gunboats had actually gone into Iranian waters. So the only headline that they get is that Iran arrested ten U.S. sailors. So right. that's just a, a lie by omission, where they technically what the story is saying is true, but they leave out the important details. So even if the the headline and the the newspaper or the the, the, t- the TV news media station hasn't hasn't said that it's Iranian aggression. It's implied just by by giving only the detail that U.S. sailors were arrested. So even then, in the minds of Americans that aren't informed or aware of what's actually going on, then that translates to Iranian aggression. Yes, and and then you have hotheads, hothead psychos like McCain coming out and, and making yeah. statements about the whole thing as well, calling the whole thing intolerable. I, I, I'm just paraphrasing here. Um, He's getting hilarious to watch. Oh my God! Well, you know, one day his, his head is just going to explode, <laughs> pure and simple, scanner style. Uh, we're, you know, he's going to he's going to be making some speech before the media, and we're going to see something gruesome. His head, just a blood vessel is going to pop right out of you know his temple, and um, it, it's only a natural consequence of of how this guy operates uh, physically and 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 psychologically. Um, but uh you know this this narrative creation um with Iran in particular uh you know it just it's just another notch in 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 the um another step towards uh what might eventually be a more um you know hot uh confrontation between the US and and Iran and in the minds of many people in the west Having just heard Iranian aggression, you know, like Russian aggression for the umpteenth time, it's, well, of course, you know. Well, and then, you know, Saudi Arabia has to get in on, you know, the provoking Iran, too. Mm-hmm. You know, when, so we didn't have a, a show when Saudi Arabia had, you know, their, their mass beheadings um, right after, you know, the new year. Yeah, I think that they're, they're beheading uh quota for 2015 had had reached uh, its upper limits so they just uh they were you know really waiting to behead a whole lot of people so they did and as uh I'm sure people are, are aware you know they um they basically assassinated um you know a, a very prominent um Shiite cleric uh it was um the um Namir, yeah, uh, Namir Al Namir, um, and you know, th- this guy was was very well respected and loved uh, among the Muslim community, and um, so yeah, th- this was a very very provocative act uh, on on uh, the behalf of 
Saudi Arabia. And so what naturally happened afterwards, uh, Iran called uh, the Saudi Arabian ambassador uh, to, to you know, talk at, at the embassy. And, yeah, and there was a, a large protest outside uh, who, you know, people were naturally extremely angry and um and and so you know it it got it was it was very intense and uh Saudi Arabia you know they said oh, okay let, let's uh let's completely cut diplomatic ties with with Iran with Iran mm-hmm. uh, which they did along with uh, several other of the um you know middle eastern slash western pawns um you know Qatar and uh, a handful of others uh, which which was just ridiculous. I mean, you know, it, 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 you can you can kind of see you can see the 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 plan set in motion. I mean, you know, it, it's a, such an absurd thing um, to to cut diplomatic ties over you know this this uh, this protest in front of the embassy. You know, so you know you can kind of you could see this that it looks like that you know this was a deliberate deliberate plan all along. You know that they just wanted to use something to be able to cut ties and and to provoke yeah, yeah. Um, and and to 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 create these issues with with uh, with Iran because it is gaining this uh, this uh, more world you know, this, this influence and it's becoming part of the you know, the economic community in the world so uh, Saudi Arabia doesn't like that and you know I'm sure that doesn't there's no small uh, influence. From the U.S. And you know the interesting thing about this um, this cleric that was uh, beheaded was, you know, the guy wasn't um, apparently the the guy wasn't uh, he wasn't extreme in his views at all. No. Um, he he's from a region that has some geo strategic importance um, in between uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia uh, for some reason. And uh, he wasn't—he wasn't even contesting its um, its alignment with Saudi Arabia. It was—it was, it was a, a region that was securely part of a Saudi Arabian territory, and uh, and so you know it—it's it, just such a blatant and um, uh, egregious uh, and and kind of a emotionally instigating act mm-hmm. to kill this man in such a brutal manner, no less. Um, so, yeah, like you were saying, Shane, I mean, this is just, it was planned. Um, you know, n- now the Saudis have their, they have their little, uh, their little story to back up um, more kind of antagonistic behavior on their port against Iran. And, uh, and this is the MO. This is, this is how they operate. Well, and that was These one bullies. example. That was one example of um, a different, well, a shade of provocation. As we started the show talking about these different types of provocation, and the, some of the examples we gave are kind of these mass geopolitical provocations, where it's one state basically acting to provoke another state um, on kind of from the top level. Now, in this case. That could have been one of the intentions of Saudi Arabia is to provoke uh, an Iranian response from Iranian leadership. But what happened instead is that the Iranian leadership again showed or responded very um, in a very like 
measured and reasonable way. But what happened was Iranian people um, basically stormed the Saudi Arabian embassy in in Iran and torched it, and um, so carried out this violent act against the embassy. And so that was one of the reasons that Saudi Arabia gave for then um, cutting diplomatic ties. But the Iranian government was saying, oh, you know, that no, that was an overreaction, and they, you know, apologized for it, and, you know, that wasn't an Iranian government decision, that was a reaction from the people. So that's one of one type of provocation where it is um, a provocation designed to get the people to respond in such a way. And we, so we see, we see that in examples, too, and uh, one that we that we talked about last week, of course, was uh, what's going on in Europe, especially in countries like Germany and maybe France or Denmark, Sweden, um, in response to the refugee crisis. So that's just a, another example of these types of things that are going on. Well, that that might be a good opportunity um, to further look at that, I think, because uh, there are so many... Um, I mean, it, it, what we're seeing in the news of, of the so-called Muslim, you know, rapists and 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 having this become this new kind of um, fear mongering. Uh, I, you know, I started reading the article you wrote, Harrison, and I was instantly reminded of um, some things that Malcolm X had said about this kind of unconscious fear on the part of white men in the U.S. in particular of you know, having their women uh, seduced and or raped by black men. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, and then, like a little further on in your article, you uh, you touched upon the very same kind of German version of that, and in particular, uh, the kind of uh, way that, you know, Nazi racism played on that as well, uh, you know, Nordic purity. and um, And so, you know, these psychos know what they're doing. Uh, there are these unconscious fears, um, these uh, these irrational um, emotions that are experienced by a great many people that are being tapped into uh, with these stories and, and, um, and twisted in such a way as to, uh, as to make a problem out of what essentially, or an issue out of what is essentially a much more kind of um, mundane, for lack of a better word, uh, phenomena. Yeah, and the way I think this... Oh, go on, Shane. Oh, go ahead, Harrison. Oh, okay, sorry, Dave. Um, The way this kind of plays out is, just to expand on what you were saying, Elon, is that um, I think people in general have a, a kind of instinctive fear and reaction to pathology in their environments. So Lobachevsky talks about this in Ponderology and how we, we almost have this basic instinctual reaction to the predations of psychopaths. Now, unfortunately, people, the vast majority of people don't know what this phenomenon is. They don't know about psychopathy. They don't know about just basic psychological demographics in human populations. So what happens is, of course, in any given population, you're going to have this um, this fear and this kind of moral outrage and reaction to to just depraved acts. So I don't think that any, if you take any individual um, population or group or culture or society, I don't think any of them would condone um, or accept 
like uh, rape, for example. So if you've got your little in-group or your family, um, if you've got a daughter or a sister, you will not react positively to, to that, uh, that female member of your family being raped. And, uh, you, and you'll get this from the whole family, so no one would be happy with that, especially the victim of the rape. Now, when something like that happens, when you have a, a crime that is committed like that, which is then associated with, a, with an identifiable group, then that forms an association in your mind and in the minds of the vast majority of people within your group, within your in-group, whether it be your entire uh, religion or race or culture. If, you've got an, if the person that committed that, uh, that act, that atrocity against a person in your in-group, then that, that person, if they're part of a, specific, uh, of a specific identifiable group, then that association will be made in your mind. So it's not that an individual... Um, an individual psychopath or just disturbed person or criminal committed that act, it is a Jew or a Muslim or a black person. And then that will create that association in your mind. So that's one of the, thing, the points I, I was trying to make in that article. And I included a video of some interviews with just random citizens, random, random people in Cologne, um, white people, uh, people that have lived there you know, that are from there. And there was an interview with the, just these two elderly women, and one of them just says that now she's afraid, you know, every time she sees a person with dark skin, she's afraid that basically right. that that person might be a rapist. And it's, so this is a natural, uh, well, uh, it's a normal, not necessarily a healthy, but an understandable human response. This is just the way that humans work. If a person commits, commits an act like that, and they're part of an identifiable group. That's the associate, association that gets made. So the example that you brought up about blacks, yeah, it's, an identifi it's a phenomenon that we've seen in Western American culture where um, an act that is carried out by a black man then gets associated with, um, with all of black people, and then it becomes, okay, now white people are afraid of black people raping white people, which is well, totally I, absurd. I, yeah, go on. I think um I think another um another issue too is when you have these these groups who have been, you know, traditionally seen, you know, by the dominant group as lesser. So, you know, we go back uh to you know the um when slaves, you know, were emancipated and you had all these stories come out about yeah you know black men raping white women, and you had these the this this uh, hysteria uh, and you know this fear that that would you know essentially drive these these stories and a lot of the time you know there, there was absolutely no um, truth to the story it was just you know somebody saying it and it, and, it, and it going off into you know this uh, this 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 crazy um, witch hunt. And you know, so when this lesser group starts to become a uh, a possible integration into the larger group, there is this uh, this pathology that says no, and that that sees it as a threat. And you know, I, and I think that we could we could say the same uh, for the refugee population in Europe, and uh, for you know, there there's been a very um, coordinated attack on on the Muslim population in terms of making sure that the people see them as this separate lesser group of people, and uh, the the threat 
is that they will become a part of you know the the, the larger culture in the minds of of the the rulers and the psychopaths uh, because you know that that would just totally blow their plans of you know just maintaining the the the, the, the fear and the chaos and the control that they're able to have over people as a result of all that. Well, I think we we might have a caller here. Um, I'm just going to quickly check to see if we do. Hello, caller, are you there? Hello? Hi, I'm just listening. Okay, thanks. I hope you're enjoying the show. I am, thank you. Okay. So, lots of good points. And uh, and I think, uh, you know, one of the other things about this is that um, this hysteria that you mentioned, Shane, is is seemingly across the board. Uh, David? Oh, one thing I wanted to bring up that I thought was interesting was uh, the comments uh, you received with your uh, article, uh, Harrison. Um, yeah. You would think, you know, the, the average thought reader would kind of have a grip on things. But the reaction people had, you know, like lumping all Muslims or Islam into this evil, evil thing that's just out to rape and pillage, it was it was, it was kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even... I, I, I guess if I'd, if I'd thought about it, I would have expected it. But when I was writing the article, I you know, I, I was just totally not expecting the, that kind of reaction to, uh, at all. Now, it made sense to me as soon as the first comments started going, started coming through. I'm like, okay, yeah, I should have seen this coming. But but it was it's astounding and, you know, really depressing, too, just to see the, the fervor and the number of of these responses and, and how people are just totally buying into this. And, uh, I mean, there are some... You know, if, if listeners haven't checked it out, you can just you can find the uh, the article and read the read the comments. Uh, it's on the thought page, and um, I don't know, just see for yourself what's going on and the kind of things that people are saying. But what gets me is is that um, just how obviously similar it is to the sort of thing that ten years ago or even today these same people would be able to identify about what was going on in Nazi Germany, for example. I mean, because that's an example we hear all the time. I mean, it's so, it's almost um, overdone to the point where there's even that, um, you know, I forget what the name of it is, but there's a name for that that law or something that any kind of Internet uh, discussion Godel's, was... Godel's Law? Uh, yeah, something like that about, you know, Internet fights will descend to one person calling the other a Nazi or bringing up Hitler or something like that. So, I mean, it's the universal example of what people think of when they think of, you know, an evil, racist, you know, genocidal, you know, bad government or um, philosophy or ideology. And yet, what did the what did the Nazis do to it to achieve that infamy? It's they were doing the exact same type of thing by this racial stereotyping and um, and demonizing identifiable groups. You know, one of whom was the Jews. There were several, though, um, including you know the Roma and homosexuals and just any kind of um, political dissidents, including communists. So um, just um, many groups. So Russians, Polish, um, Polish people. So there were all these groups that the, the Nazis demonized. Um, but if you if you just look at the example of of what was going on with Jews and, and Judaism at the time, the 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 similarities with what's going on now in regard to Muslims are just astounding, and you'd think that they would be totally obvious. Now, one of the examples 
just to make the the kind of the the similarities clear is that um, one of these commenters was just kind of really railing on Islam as a religion. Now, of course, um, there are what? How many? Like 1.5, 2 billion, something like that, Muslims in the world. Do you guys remember what the figure is? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. something like that. It's and, a billion. Yeah, I think it's 1.5 billion. And so there's so think about that 1.5 billion and then he was he was looking at and basically saying okay well you don't you guys don't know what islam is islam is this terrible religion and just read about some of the things that, that are in the texts and the and the types of things that are either prescribed or um you know just just um given as examples of what being a muslim is and so he he was of course giving um giving some of these negative portrayals some of which are um, are valid in the sense that those interpretations or those verses can be read into the um, into the the Quran or you know the the religious documents of Islam. But then, if you just think about that and take it to the next step, and read the Christian Bible or the Hebrew Bible, mm-hmm. and look at the kind of things that are in those documents. Um, there was a good, a, a great video, a kind of little social experiment that that some guys did and put it on YouTube. You know, I can't remember what the um, what their name was, but they went around with a copy of the Old Testament, and they put uh, they put a, a cover on the book um, that that showed the Quran, and then they read verses from the Bible to random people on the street, and. Uh, implying and saying that these were verses from the Quran and base, and asking people what they thought of these verses. And so, of course, these are, are verses about just, um, you know, when you're allowed to kill per- people, the responses that you can give, and just, you know, really violent and nasty stuff from the Old Testament. And people were saying, oh, yeah, this is just nasty. It shows, you know, what a bad religion Islam is, and, and you know, oh, Christianity or Judaism is just so much better because it's so much more humane. And then afterwards, the guys take the cover off the book and say, you know, actually, these were from the, the Bible and the and these people are shocked. Oh, wow! Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see where you were going there. You, you, you got me. And but the point is, is that no matter how many, how much nasty stuff there is in these books about um, just the the horrendous things that that are allowed in these religions, the vast majority of people that follow those religions won't follow those. Uh, um, those practices. It's just, again, this just comes back to natural, normal human behavior and human psychology, is that within any given population, there's only ever going to be a certain limit, which is, um, according to Lobachevsky at least, is anywhere from a single digit percentage to two digits. So, you know, anywhere from 1% to maybe 10, 15, maybe an upper limit of, you know, the high teens, that percentage of people that are actually going to identify with the pathological material that is in something like these books. So when you have um, something that is that most people would see as morally reprehensible in the Quran, the vast majority of, of Muslims aren't going to believe that, and they're not going to be following it. They're going to be va- basically decent people, just like the vast majority of people on this entire planet are basically, you know, to a certain extent, just decent people. And and so one of the specific examples that this guy brought up was that um, was the the practice of the of allowing and um, um, excusing lies. So, for example, Muslims in certain situations can tell lies about something in order to cover up, you know, the truth about Islam. Now, so this is it's uh, it's 
and this may very well be true in certain interpretations, like I was saying, but the same thing is true of Judaism, for example. I mean, there's stuff in the Talmud about when when and how it's okay to lie to, to Goyim, to Gentiles, about what the truth about Judaism is. But that does not mean that all Jews are lying, um, conniving evil people. But mm-hmm. that's the image, that's the excuse that people who have an agenda, like a, an anti-Semitic agenda, will use to taint all Jews, for example, with, with a negative, with, uh, you know, with a wide brush and paint them all as these evil people, when it's just nonsense, it's not, it's not true. But the way it works is because, um, well, because there are those verses. I mean, they're right there, they're true. And when this group is is marginalized and demonized, seen as other and seen as non-human, it's very easy for a person to take that example, whether real or misinterpreted or even invented, and then use that as an excuse, as an example, to further demonize this group. So that's what we've got going on with Muslims, where you can take everything wrong, any, any act that maybe a single Muslim or a very small percentage of Muslims do that is morally reprehensible, and then using that as a way of demonizing the entire Muslim population by saying, well, this is what Islam is, this is what all Muslims are, when it's totally not only factually incorrect, but just it's, it, it in itself is morally reprehensible. Well, what, what's amazing is how successful um, this, uh, this myopic kind of prison-shaping uh, view of, of Muslims has become in Western culture. Uh, it, you know, it, whether it's conscious or unconscious, the, the people who propagate these uh, you know these kind of anti-Muslim, Islamic, Islamophobic points of view. Um, it, you know, like this guy who is uh, who who created this event in Texas. I mean, these are this is a um, this is a, a, a logical uh, approach to, to uh, thinking of their people, uh, mm-hmm. and, and um, it's. Uh, you know, it's just astounding that it's uh, it's so successful uh, to the extent that it has anyway. Yeah, I think we might have a caller. Let's just check it out. So, caller, are you on the okay. line? If you are, give us your name. Say hi. Yeah. Yes, I'm Stephen. Hi, Stephen. How's it going? Hey, Stephen. It's going, it's What's going up, very Stephen? well, and, and, uh, and happy Happy New Year to y'all. So, uh, yeah, Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Yeah, happy New Year. Yeah, but. And, and I take to heart, you know, the the, uh, the tenor and the gist of what you're saying um, about, you know, anti-Semitism. You know, it's all always kind of like rubbed. It's always been harsh to me. And then, but I listen to people that have quite a good analysis, you know, about geopolitics. And but then they have this kind of emphasis on the Jew. Yeah. You know, and it's like wow, it's just. And I know that Israel just does, it's very hypocritical. I know they oppress people, you know, using their religion, you know, in, their, in Israel. It's power, right? But mm-hmm. there's a lot of Jewish people that are great thinkers. They're critical. They make alliances with people, you know, that are outside their religion. They, they want justice. They're, they're, and as far as the representation in our society, people mention, oh, look at, look at the Jew, the percentage of Jew in lawyer, doctor, the media. Well, to me, it's it's just freaking logical if you think critically. Um, mm-hmm. Jewish people, you know, as a culture to survive, have emphasized education in getting their in getting their their kids into these professions. It's a way of um, 
it's a way of protecting the culture. You know, you've got some power. You know, it's less likely that some uh, Nazi program, you know, kind of is going to, like, you know, take you out, right? So um, I think there's a lot of uh, – so I'm just saying I know that falls into a stereotype, you know, the power of Jews, et cetera. But, it, but I think it's important to uh, recognize areas that it, things are true, but you don't you, – you can present a, a different explanation for things that don't fall into these reductive stereotypes, but then to try to um, – Avoid these uh, these things that can be looked at as fact, documented, and all that. As far as like power and professions, that's just one example. I think that um, develop a a strong explanation for these phenomena, and then you totally reject the reject the, the reductive, the money grubber, you know, all of these just like horrible stereotypes that we in the West, European whites, have. Um, been inculcated into for generation upon generation. So, you know, I just wanted to point that out, and I'm saying that with respect to Jewish people. Now, with respect to Muslim, um, you know, I've always, like, I I take the same approach to Muslim. I remember when the the whole thing in New York City about building the community center was just all the rage in the media for a few weeks. Near the Mm -hmm. uh, ground zero. Yeah. Yeah, the ground zero. I just I, I was just so freaking disgusted with all of the attacks, you know, and the you know, generating fear and I got so disgusted I went into a convenience store one day and I just just kinda mad. I'm like it's about religious freedom. I'm gonna support these Muslims building this and I'm gonna defend them to my death because 'cause they're fellow Americans, right? <laughs> and then and then this uh this woman just like comes to me. You're stupid. Muslims suck, right? <laughs> and I, um, I didn't use any curse words, but I kind of like, I, I chided her for her ignorance. Yeah, and she goes, "You calling me stupid?" Well, anyway, everything goes downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> her, her, yeah. her husband, her husband's in the car, and these are poor people, white people. You know, and some people would classify them as traitor trash. I hate that term, but these were these were humble working class to poor people in an old car. And when I went outside, she tells her husband she called me stupid. Next thing, next thing you know, this guy's just jumping around like a freaking monkey, just wanting to knock my clock off. You know, but the point of it is, I just got so disgusted with all the, the whole tenor of the discussion. Um, like from Sam Harris and his acolytes, and it, it just disgusted me. And so, okay, now getting back to these um, Muslim people in um, from Syria, from uh, Yemen and other parts of North Africa that have um, went into Europe through Turkey. Now, this is a tough one to wrap my mind around because the wild thing about the whole discussion um, is that it's off limits to describe and impart an onus of responsibility for the violence that reflects back on the United States, France, Europe, the Saudis. So that's totally eliminated from the discussion. It's like they just, they came to, through Greece and other mm-hmm. parts of the, uh, the area from Turkey. So this was a calculated release of these people. And so now we are, um, you know, you have a huge amount of these people 
that are there as a result of uh, U.S. supported and NATO supported violence, especially France and Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and Turkey. You got all these people showing up in Europe, and but then there's like the whole phenomena of that happening. It's totally divorced from like looking at it from a set of steps that an honest discussion of what 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 precipitated this crisis, right? So that's totally off the table. And um, you follow me? Yeah, of course. And, um, no, you're it, making good points, all, Stephen. Well, it's only been you guys, and there's a guy named Patrick Hennison with Sunday Wire, and he interviews a woman by the name of Vanessa Bealey. And um, and there's a few others, but but a precious few others that actually like give you a calculation of what's been going on, what is going on with Syria, the false flags with the chemical weapons, all of that. So, you know, so we have these discussions on phenomena like this: the refugees, you know, um, inundating Europe, Western Europe, without like going back and, and developing a whole narrative that people can wrap their minds around. And it's it's almost as though um, that this is a calculated move on the part of um, I don't know whom, but it's like a concerted effort and a calculated move to flood these people into areas that are already um, in in kind of a recession. Um, Western capitalism has been in a, a recession and shock the population, and then. Um, and then, and then I'm gonna, I want to mention one more phenomenon. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hang up. But I think it's really, I think it's just crucial to develop a holistic narrative that you can like flush things out, like uh, anti-Semitism, Muslim. You know, bring history into it, and um, not be reductive. You know, because uh, these are fellow human beings, and the vast majority are just beautiful people that are just trying to make it. But um, the situation in Cologne. Germany on New Year's Eve. You, you guys, um, you guys are well aware of that, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, here's here was my interpretation of it, um, and there was um, German media that kind of um, submerged the story, and um, I don't know all of the details, you know, but I could definitely see that I'm a young young guy who's an immigrant from Turkey or wherever. I'm there. My parents are, you know, having a hard time were looked upon like as pariahs or with fear. And you're young and, and you're kind of angry. And then you see the decadence of the, uh, the Western world with the pr- promiscuity of sex, uh, exposing women's bodies, commodifying the woman. You see all of this and you're kind of confused and angry. And um, I'm not excusing the behavior, but um, I could definitely see myself in those people's shoes and engage in um, in, in, in very uh, very bad behavior just because I'm angry and I'm looking around and I'm seeing the hypocrisy and um, there's no honest discussions it's just it's just bad so um, I'm saying that uh, I know it's ripe for the uh, the haters and the the neo-nazi types to take something like that and, and blow it up for their agendas but I also think it's important to, like, look, let's look at it. If it really did happen, let's look at it. Let's understand it. Let's explain it to one another. And because that's the only way that we can move ahead, if we have a grasp on what's going on, you know, that's compelling. And, um, and it's not like 
reductive and it's not just subject to uh, crass manipulation by larger powers that be. But like one of the mo- the, the most um, concerning things for me is how that there's just it's very difficult to uh, listen to or it's very difficult to find narratives that tie things together among people that are healthy psychologically. They have a grasp on history. And they're, they, um, you know, they want democracy. They would like us all to have more power. But to have that, we need to be able to come together in some way, shape, and form. So we're just being fed, like, massive, like, you know, amounts of uh, disjointed information that's just kind of, like, works to confuse the, the huge majority of people. Like, like you have people on the SOT network, you know, posting um, really reductive and mean kind of comments you know, it's like, but we're being we're being pummeled day day after day by these disjointed narratives that just render us powerless and confused. And um, that's why I value, and I'm going to hang up after this. But that's why I value y'all's show because really, you're one of the few organizations that like present things and you attempt to like look at things more holistically, especially with respect to what, what's going on in Syria. And uh, because it's really it's it's mind-boggling, but it's pretty rare to hear, like, a larger um, narrative. And, like, you know that, I forget the name of the town. It begins with an M, but the ones where uh, they're holding, it's close to the Lebanese border, and they're holding, like, the rebels or whatever, the the, yeah, the hottest type. Yeah, and um, I listened to NPR report today, and the way they framed it is, like, you got Ban Ki-moon making a comment from the U.N. I mean, the whole thing would have you believe it's Putin and Assad that are just withholding food from the civilians. And it's just, yeah. oh, it's just wretched the way they do that. And then when you listen to somebody like um, Vanessa Bealey, who was on Patrick Hennison's show, Sunday Wire, last week, and they go through like a 45-minute like rundown about like what's going on there, and they got connections on the ground there, and they just totally, they just totally demolished the dominant, confusing narrative. But this is what we're faced with. I mean, this is what we're faced with, and you have no friends on the liberal virtually, and you have no friends on the on the on the right, and it's just like there's very few people actually that endeavor to 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 present a coherent narrative that looks at all these different angles so we can like analyze it. And the bottom line is, what undergirds your narrative, you would like you guys would like all of us to have more power because you know that we have problems that we we need to confront tackle and surmount and but if we can't even like be exposed to and, and understand and interpret and imbibe a coherent narrative of events you know we're screwed you know and that's kind of where we're at right now and anyway i just you guys have any questions for me before i hang up no i don't think so thanks Stephen. okay well thank y'all you take care okay. i enjoy your show bye-bye all right take care we'll talk to you later All right. You guys there? Oh, it looks like we lost our hosts. Well, I'm just going to talk a little bit until we get Elon and the crew back. So, well, first of all, Stephen uh, just brought up Madaya, which is another, you know, just example of total... (laughs) Well, this is a media provocation. So what's going on in Madaya... Uh, just to give a brief rundown for you know for listeners that may not have heard what's going on, it is a town 
close to Damascus in Syria, close to the Lebanese border, and it has been occupied for the last, uh, how long, two years, maybe longer, uh, by um, rebels in Syria, so by groups like, um, you know, the, the so-called, oh, you guys there? Yeah, we're back. We had a drop, okay. uh, hey, connection guys. here. Sorry about that. So yeah, I was just giving a rundown of what's going on in Madaya, um, just some you know some context for what Stephen had talked about, and how this has been basically this town is occupied by rebel forces, so-called you know moderate rebels that are not so moderate, and um, the town is under siege by um, by Assad, you know Syrian government forces and um, associated you know volunteer forces, and so. What's happening is that it's not that this town is being purposely starved by by the Syrian government. It is that it is under siege and aid has been sent regularly into this town. But what happens is that the rebels get a hold of the aid, uh, the food, the the supplies that people need to to, to live their lives, and then um, so they they hoard it and then they sell it for extortionate prices to the population. So of course there's going to be people starving, but it is not the Syrian government that is starving these people. It is the moderate rebels. So I just wanted to to just give some context on what's going on there. Yeah, and that that um I recall that that whole uh issue in Medaya has been twisted by the western media to once again vilify maybe you were saying this a little earlier Harrison to kind of uh, portray uh, Assad as this uh, evil dictator yeah. and, and kind of continue with the narrative of, of him uh, attacking his people with chemicals and, and barrel bombing them and whatnot. Yeah, the way the Western um, media, like the headlines that they're saying is that he is, the, the Syrian government, Assad, the, the brutal dictator, is deliberately starving his own citizens. As if, you know, Assad just wakes up one morning and says, you know what, I want to starve some citizens. I mean, it's totally, it's ridiculous, it's lacking in any kind of context, um, any kind of understanding of what's actually going on on the ground. Um, It's just atrocious, um, irresponsible, bad journalism. I think that the, the people running these stories should be probably fined, arrested, put in prison, (laughs) because it's just... Yeah. And it has it's, no logic. It's just wrong. I mean, it, it just yeah. it just makes no sense. No. Um, just getting back to that phenomenon you were describing before, one of our chatters um, has, says that the you know this this thing where you know the discussion on the internet um, kind of devolves to one person calling a you know evoking Nazism. It's the it's called mm-hmm. the Godwin. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So thank you, Chatter, for uh, for that. And um, did you guys have any comments well, on Stephen's call? Yeah. Well, uh, when you know we were talking about the um, how these you know there are these types who you know really like go after uh, the the Quran or 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 you know other holy books and so-called holy books and you know, really rail against it. And, you know, it seems to me a lot of the time that, you know, these types are, you know, they're they're focusing on uh, these things a whole lot more than anybody who, you know, practices uh, yeah. that religion. And, exactly. I mean, just yeah, the, think about the number of Christians that have never read the Bible. I mean. Exactly. 
which you know is is probably the heavy majority i i would guess yeah. um and 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 then when you have you know these fanatics uh whether it's isis or or zionists or um you know who, whoever else who use um the this this veneer of religion as as a motivating factor you know they really don't care about um you know any religion like that's not a motivating uh, factor for them you know they have uh very little or corrupted or none mm-hmm. uh of of uh something that seeks uh higher you know that's in any way spiritual yeah exactly you know there was an article the other day about uh the um the Saudi Arabian uh monarchy and their infighting and um and a lot of the machinations that are that are occurring there and and uh, they're really falling apart there uh for a number of reasons uh but what's interesting is and I didn't know this is that they they draw a lot of their power from the uh from these Wahhabi uh religious leaders these clerics who kind of bestow or um or uh just kind of advocate for or uh they they just basically support this monarchy so there's this kind of you know uh divine uh Saudi kingdom uh and and who's you know and who's uh, bestowing this this divinity? But these these crazed, pathological, you know, uh, Wahhabi clerics that are probably ideologically pretty close to uh, the the ISIS or ISIL folks. Um, you know, it's it's just this kind of uh, rabid. It's like these these uh, these individuals are they're in this power kind of um collusion uh you know they they support one another and um at one point or another uh people are going to um wake up to to how this works and and uh and respond i think well it is becoming you know uh, pretty blatantly clear you know with uh, Saudi Arabia's actions and you know they they're like they're the most fanatical country in in the Middle East, and um, and they're also you know our best friends, you know, and like so the U.S. is supporting Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. it's it's supporting ISIS and uh, moderate terrorists, and you know it's 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 just become a theater of, of absurd. And and really, why is the U.S. supporting? Saudi Arabia. One, they're one of the biggest importers of of weapons uh, from the military-industrial complex of the U.S., uh, a huge industry. Um, These are the guys, uh, the the builders of weapons, who sit in on meetings, um, you know, with with guys from the Pentagon and, and the media and think tanks, and basically have a say on deciding what U.S. policy should be. Um. And and everything kind of uh, flows from that. Uh, so you know, let's look at the situation. You have guys who are making, you know, millions of dollars a year selling their uh, selling their new hardware. Um, and how how are they going to make their money selling their new hardware by fomenting war uh, with 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 no thought to the implications of war. 
the suffering involved, uh, the destruction inflicted, um, and uh, yeah, the, the, the people who understand this, who who would like the the power and the money and and uh, and all of the uh, and all of the the little the little prizes that come with it, um, all the little perks, you know, <laughs> that's that's their sole reason for being, um, and. And that's a large part of of why we're seeing what we're seeing. Yeah, these these provocations. I mean, like that's and that is how you get the population to accept, you know, uh, how things are playing out, and you know, the the atrocious actions that the United States is committing. You you get people to accept that by yeah. Well, these people, you know, they, they it's just a we're being provoked just as much as uh the US is provoking other countries. You know, we're being provoked in the sense that, you know, we're um you know the the mass population is is being put in a position where we um where we accept these things. We're like, you know, these the the observers that I was talking about, you know, in the beginning of the show, you know, that that is that is us. And you know, we're witnessing um or not we're actually we're we're not witnessing. We're denying what is going on, um, but it's it's like an active denial. I think, you know, um, we see these things play out, but you know, people just put their heads down and focus on you know just uh, getting through the day, uh, trying to make ends meet, and you know, it's it's been year after year that that we've been uh, provoked. Um, you know, all and I say we in a collective sense, uh, not just in the United States, but you know, all, all over the world. Um, you know, nine eleven and uh, you know Ukraine and Syria. These are all um, various uh, ways of 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 provoking uh, the population. And and really, you know, when we keep putting our heads down, it's either that you know, either we do. Um, at one point, get that instinct to to fight against uh, uh, our this control that we have over our minds, uh, or you know we just get crushed. You know our our spirit literally gets crushed. Well, when you said that, um, I think David has a another MLK quote that speaks to this pretty well. Yes, <clears throat> darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive hate. Only love can do that. There was actually one um, with fools in it. Yeah, I was going to save that for the end, but we might as well throw that in here. It's one of my favorites. We must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. Right. So we're, we're kind of being presented with this choice right now. We can either be complicit with... Uh, you know the billions of dollars of an arms sales to Saudi Arabia and everything that's kind of aligned with that, uh, or we can make a, a a choice to say this is terribly, horribly wrong, and uh, there needs to be a, a different approach to uh, to seeing things and and to what our alignment is. Uh, I just uh, I just got word that the. IAEA, which is the UN's nuclear agency, uh, confirmed the 
JCPOA Iran deal. Uh, so that is great news um, for Iran. And uh, I, yeah, I, I'm, I feel good about that. I, you know, I don't know um, how things will will be playing out in the future, um, but you know, I, I am I am very happy for for Iran that uh, this is going forward. So that's good news. Well, Harrison, did we have any other uh, news stories that we wanted to cover or get to? This week, yeah, um, I'll just give a just a, a couple updates of other things that have been going on. Um, one, well, first of all, there is the um, some stuff going on in Syria and Iraq. Um, one thing I just wanted to bring attention to was another of another example of Turkey just being a totally hypocritical, um, nasty terrorist state. Um, because uh, we've talked about it before, so most of our listeners are probably aware that the border of Syria and Turkey is partially controlled by ISIS on the Syrian end. And, well, ISIS by proxy or ISIS by master on the Turkish end. And the rest of the border is controlled by, um, on the, e- the east northeast border is controlled by the K- Syrian Kurdish population. And the very kind of northwest popula- or border in Latakia is controlled by the, the Syrian Arab Army and the National Defense Forces. So you've got um, Syrian control in the very western part. Then in the central part, you've got rebel and ISIS control. And then the eastern part, 750 kilometers, is controlled by the Kurds. Now, that entire 750 kilometers, there are only two border crossings. Um, the the entire border is closed, and Turkey controls um, the the passage along that border and doesn't allow anything through. So Kurds can't cross that border into Turkey through these two border crossings. The two border crossings are heavily guarded and block blockaded. So the only people, the only things that the Turkish side allows into the Syrian side are returning refugees. Now, they don't send any um, any other people any aid, any humanitarian aid like medicine, food, um, or anything of that sort. So the Kurds are basically left on their own. And um, and so, the, so no traffic can get from the Syrian side, the Syrian Kurdish side, into Turkey. So they can't sell their produce, for example. So a lot of the stuff, a lot of the, the produce and um, just um, things that they have to sell um, can't make it into Turkey. Into Turkey, so a lot of their food rots. They can't sell it. They can't make money. Um, the, bur- the border is controlled by snipers. Um, so there, there are reports of people being shot by the snipers. So Kurds being killed. Um, one, one report um, on RT. They interviewed a family of a young boy who was just shot and killed. I mean, it's reminiscent of, of what goes on in uh, in Palestine. But the kind of the bigger picture to this story is that um, when when Russia, or soon after Russia, kind of blew the the lid on Turkish involvement in this the ISIS oil trade, um, we had some Western governments saying to Turkey that Turkey needs to control its border um, with in Syria and Iraq um, to 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 stop the, this um, this illegal oil trade. And not only that, what was left kind of unsaid is the the amount of support that ISIS and the rebels get from the Turkish side, which crosses from Turkey to Syria. We get um, mm-hmm. arms, arms and aid 
and and fighters that crossed from Turkey into Syria. Now, the Turkish response was that it would be impossible for 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 Turkey to control the border. They'd need like tens of thousands more people, and um, so it was just impossible. You know, they couldn't do it. And this fact that that they totally do control the border on the Kurdish side just totally gives the lie to that narrative because they can do it and they are doing it with the Kurds, but conveniently the part of the border which ISIS controls on the Syrian side, they have no control over on the Turkish side. It's just utterly ridiculous um, and just goes to show that Turkey does and is a supporter of ISIS and deliberately so, not unintentionally. So I just wanted to, to bring that up. Also, um, Russia has uh, the Russian military has said that um, they may begin to release data on the U.S. coalition activity in Syria. So this was in response to to the U.S. Um, continually saying that Russia not only doesn't target ISIS, but that it's killing civilians, targeting civilian infrastructure. The Russians, of course, deny that, saying that they are extra careful. They will not engage any targets that that are civilian infrastructure. It's only stuff that the you know basically um, you know arms depots and and um, you know, command and control structures and training centers um, that are held by and operated by um, terrorist groups. So that's the Russian side, and so so the Russians are saying that you know that um, in response to this, if you know, basically, if the U.S. doesn't stop lying about this, that the U.S. that the Russians may have to start releasing what they know about the U.S. missions because the U.S. doesn't release any of their data. I mean, the Russians are the ones that release video and, you know, daily and weekly reports of what's going on, what targets are hit, exactly what they're doing and who they're targeting. The U.S. doesn't do any of that. So very interesting that uh, I think that it would be great if they did, if Russia did start doing this. Mm -hmm. because the, Russians, the Russians have this, um, well, Russia, Iran, Syria, uh, Hezbollah, they've got their, their operation center in Baghdad. They've got an enormous amount of intelligence that is shared between these countries. And, of course, Russia has um, um, very good intelligence sources and capabilities in the area. So, of course, all of these people, um, the, the, these countries, Russia, Iran, Syria, uh, with Hezbollah, they know, they know what's going on. They've got the data. But, um, you know, they've been obeying the unwritten um, rules of geopolitics and not exposing um, what they do know, except when it becomes convenient or necessary to do so. So um, that's just an interesting, an interesting development, especially because um, we basically know what the U.S. is doing. Um, I'll get to that first, or I'll get to that in a minute. But first, one of the one of the things that again exposes the U.S. for its own hypocrisy is that. Um, it's official U.S. military policy that anything up to 49 or 50 civilian deaths is okay collateral damage. That's acceptable collateral damage. So we saw this just the other day when um, the U.S. Um, coalition launched an airstrike in the, in the Iraqi city of Mosul. Um, um, and basically it was a bank. It was an ISIS bank. So um, a couple years ago, ISIS had taken over the city of Mosul and got gotten their hands on just millions of dollars. They basically um, raided the bank, and that's where they got a lot of their funding. Of course, that and that came about because of um, U.S. support originally. I mean, they wouldn't have gotten Mo Mosul if they didn't have state backing. They wouldn't have, be the organization they are without state backing. But regardless of that, um, 
ISIS had control of this bank and the U.S. bombed it. And so there's video, of the, the U.S. military did release video of this bank blowing up and you, you see um, you know, dollar bills just erupting from this place and on, on buildings around it. And there were, I think they said, like six or seven uh, civilian deaths that were acknowledged, and that was you know, an acceptable loss because of the value of the military target. So on the one hand, you've got the U.S. criticizing Russia for targeting and killing civilians, which they have no evidence of, and um, so there, it's just a, an empty claim, a, a, a base assertion, and yet we have the U.S. who has an official policy that it's okay to kill civilians, and that does kill civilians, which is, again, just ridiculous. And so one of the examples that the Russians brought up is that um, since the middle of de December, the U.S. has been heavily targeting the Syrian city of Aleppo um, and launching airstrikes on that. So they're saying, they just asked the question, well, what has, what has the U.S. been doing in Aleppo? Um, kind of uh, alluding to the fact that they have information on the actual targets in Aleppo. Now that brought something to mind for me because there's a, this one, there's a, uh, a YouTube channel, a uh, news website, I can't remember the name of it, which doesn't really matter because it's just a propaganda egg. It's run by um, this kind of Syrian dissident who left Syria several years ago and has started up uh, his own kind Syrian of... Syrian Observatory? Uh, no, no, this is a different one. He's The UK guy? No, this, oh, not no, this, is, a, this is a different one. It's a guy... Um, a similar story, but this is a young guy, and he's got his own kind of news channel. And so he's been, uh, well, and a news organization that he started up. So he's got a YouTube channel, and he's been in Syria um, for the last several months, um, and he's got some video reports from Aleppo. And so this is, um, so he's been interviewing people in Aleppo, and he puts out, they're, they're, these, they're these basically like um, pro-rebel, anti-Assad propaganda reports where he interviews what he calls our ordinary Syrians and there's one video where he's asking them about the Free Syrian Army and they're all saying oh yeah the Free Syrian Army exists we're the Free Syrian Army so he's basically interviewing the Free Syrian Army um, in Aleppo which are just these um, so-called moderate rebels and they're, they're all talking about um, how it's horrible living in, in this region of Aleppo because the Russians are bombing them constantly when uh, so it, it turns out these, you know, the people bombing Aleppo are U.S. and the U.S. has been bombing Aleppo, and um, so yeah, no, it hasn't been the Russians. And then, um, so I said that well, we know what's going on. Well, that's because we've had for for years now, Iraqi politicians and volunteer militia forces have been saying what's going on. Um, as far as news agency regularly gives updates of um, interviews and statements by Iraqi politicians, you know, saying that the U.S. airdropped supplies to ISIS, they provide cover for them, basically, and that the, the U.S. doesn't, um, or the, the Iraqis are just totally fed up with, uh, with the U.S. Um, involvement in the coalition, how they're not doing a good job. And um, so there's a new uh, a new report coming that just came out a new statement um that in the in the in Iraq for example so not Syria but we can extend this to Syria but in Iraq the US has been targeting civilian infrastructure in their airstrikes allegedly against ISIS so um so <laughs> basically again the US is doing what it blames Russia uh, for doing. 
So this this statement comes from Ahmed al-Assadi. He is a spokesman for the Popular Mobilization Forces. And so on Friday, just yesterday, he said that, uh, that Iraq's infrastructure and civilian buildings have been the target of unbridled aerial assaults by the U.S.-led forces. U.S. jets destroyed nearly 80% of infrastructure in the recently liberated city of Ramadi in Anbar province, he said, adding that severe damage comes while Iraqi authorities have repeatedly asked U.S.-led forces to, to stop the destructive bombing attacks. Numerous reports show many civilians have so far fallen victim to the U.S.-led bombing campaign in Syria and Iraq over the past year. So this is a this is a report from Press TV. So that's just wow. a hint of what to, the Russians know. You, yeah, go this ahead. is like oh my god. I, you know, uh, I've, I've, we've all certainly heard the stories about the U.S. airdropping supplies to ISIS, <clears throat> but what what they're doing here, what what seems to be the case. Is I mean this is pure intimidation. This is pure a pure message to uh, those uh, people, those uh, the new government in, in in Iraq that would like to stem the tide of, uh, of of aggression on the part of ISIS, and it's saying cease and desist, or we will continue to bomb you. <laughs> um, I, I mean that's how else do you interpret this? Uh, you know. It, it, it's it's a message, um, and of course, because this story is only going to be heard from Fars News Agency or or or, or these you know other sources, uh, the West is just not getting this this vital piece of information. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I just had to express that it's uh, it's it's another one of these uh, bits of this whole um, situation that is just disgusting, and. Uh, and suggests exactly why the U.S. is is the world's worst bully. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. But uh, sorry to interrupt you there. If you had more to no, add, no, that's that's good. That's all. That's all I wanted to say on that. I just had one other story I wanted to quickly comment on uh, in relation. Just it kind of follows up on the Cologne, uh, the discussion that we were having on Cologne. Um, not directly though, because the the narrative, of course, is that these thousand. Uh, thousand youths collectively sexually assaulted all these women and that there's this new phenomenon that is coming from the Muslim world called Taharush, which is basically gang rape and so gang rape is being presented as a Muslim phenomenon that that there it's just this cultural thing where Muslims like gang raping women which is again a totally total misrepresentation um, because there's gang rape in every culture and um, there's there's gang rape in from Western culture I mean it's just that's that's what the word means. It's a it's a phenomenon. It, it exists, and uh, so just in relation to that, there's a, a report um, released um, by a, the Associated Press recently on the epidemic of child abuse among the U.S. military. Um, the, the information suggests that more than half of those serving time in U.S. military prisons, um, or whose cases are are being worked on in the, ju- in the, the military justice system, involve child sex. Um, so between 2010 and 2014, there were at least 1,584 substantiated cases of military dependents or children of U.S. service members being sexually assaulted. Um, it, the information suggests that child sex abusers make up the biggest group currently held in military prisons. Um, so, 
Yeah, I mean, it's just, but to, to conclude from that, you know, just as we were talking about with the example of, of Muslims or any group, to conclude from mm-hmm. that that therefore all Americans or all American military personnel are, you know, child abusers is a wrong conclusion to make. It is a problem. It is a social and a, and a, a ju- criminal justice problem that should be dealt with, and it exists in every culture. Now, I think that if there were a sane response to, to what happened in Cologne, um, then it would be a, a widespread acknowledgement of the problem of sexual abuse, sexual assault worldwide in every culture. And it shouldn't just be a focus on uh, the refugee population. I think what Germany should do is say, okay, yes, this is a problem. It is a problem within German society, not just from this refugee pro- population, because Germany itself has its own rape culture. And that there should be mm-hmm. wide, widespread systemic investigations and you know public awareness things going on and uh, a crackdown on what what is uh, a huge criminal um, you know um, problem all over the world that is ignored to a large extent and the only reason that it's in the news right now is because some Muslims allegedly did it or do it <laughs> of course which, again which is obviously ridiculous so this should be examined and looked at and there should be um uh, there should be investigations for it i mean the the amount of pedophilia in high places all these things should be looked at but they won't be because it's not convenient at this time it is only convenient to blame muslims for a problem that is is systemic in western culture yeah that's all i have to say about that well you know that that kind of reminded me of uh of this issue of um you know, women in the military and, and this crazy statistic about one out of every three of them being sexually assaulted by someone mm-hmm. within the military in the U.S. Um, but, uh, but yeah, now it's, uh, now it's Muslims are after our women. Muslims are trying to rape our women. And, um, and now that this idea has, has gone out there and, um, one of our chatters, uh, had, um, had posted a, a link to an article Indicating that uh, you know the social media is rife with images of of um, of women um, who are alleged, allegedly raped by Muslims, and uh, one channel on France TV has uh, has debunked that effectively, if I understand it correctly. I took a quick look at that earlier, um, but you know it's <laughs> this is how this information works. You know, the New York Times publishes something on the first page, and uh, when enough people say no, that's that's not quite correct. They they print a retraction on the tenth page in small print on the bottom. Uh, how do you you know how do you bottle up the the genie once it's been let out of the bottle? Uh, and we're seeing some pretty evil genies being released into the into the minds and 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 thinking of of people. Um, so thank you for that rundown, Harrison. I, uh, I had been wondering for, for several weeks now when the next, um, Russian, uh, defense ministry, um, uh, kind of media, uh, video would come out where they would divulge some of these, uh, these, these types of things like with, um, you know, the ISIS, uh, oil convoy trucks in mass going into Turkey and, um, and it seems like, you know, as you were stating, uh, Russia has been really restrained about that. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of like they're still saying, look, we have this information about you. We have more information about you. Cut the crap. 
while we just try and fix this mess that you've created. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think for a while, well, except for these uh, these horrible bombings in Iraq, as as you described, uh, the U.S. has been fairly tame about the whole thing, and so is Turkey. They're, they're, I think they're trying to keep a low profile for a little bit. But uh, as rabid dogs will do, uh, it's just a, a question of time in, until they cross another line. And um, and Russia and Iran and uh, and Hezbollah and, and um, maybe even China will have to be involved on, a, on another level. Uh, so... Um, I think this sort of thing is inevitable, unfortunately, and um, we can only hope to 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 kind of put a, a finger on it and and share it here and announce SOT when it occurs. Because, for goodness' sake, I mean, so much of the story is is still so uh, hidden from most people. Um, so yeah. And uh, on that note, I, I'm thinking that uh, we we could bring to the the show to its conclusion. Shane, did you have anything else you wanted to add on no, any of that? No, or? no, you know, I was um, well, I was just thinking, you know, the the scale of uh, the U.S.'s just um, you know war crimes has become so massive that it's you know really unfortunate that you know when we think about um its next big thing you know that that's coming mm-hmm. that uh they're that they're, that they are relatively tame right now even when they are you know destroying Aleppo um and you know uh cities in in Iraq and you know it, and you know committing these 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 really gross um crimes that you know that that i mean this the, the magnitude of just the suffering that the united states has caused is 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 just so huge and you know uh things are coming you know very rapidly uh but it's just uh you know it's a very it's becoming a very disturbing world um where yeah we are waiting for even the bigger the next bigger thing to to be coming um but yeah, on that on that note, sorry, I don't mean to leave the show off on a, a sore subject, but there's so many of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yes. On that note, uh, let's not be provoked into yeah, that's reacting key. to things. Yeah. I mean, that's the key. I think the um, you know, thought isn't just about um, looking at these these world events uh but it is also about understanding ourselves and you know how we do react and respond and you know understanding you know our own machine basically and um and understanding how that affects uh our communities and and, and society uh and you know i think that's kind of the maybe a takeaway message uh for the show is you know, the better that we do understand ourselves and what's going on, uh, we can better measure our um, our response to it and our thinking on the subject. <clears throat> Maybe that would be good to segue into another uh, Martin Luther King quote, one that's uh, particularly hit home for me lately. 
And it is, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are we doing for others? Mm. Yes. Uh, An excellent question to leave this show with for this week. I agree. uh, I'd like to thank uh, our listeners, our chatters for chiming in, Stephen, our caller for today. Uh, the SOT News Desk with that hot off the presses story about the IAEA and, and that decision. Um, don't forget to tune in tomorrow to the Behind the Headlines show with Joe and Neil. That's at 2 p.m. And next week, the Health and Wellness show at 10 a.m. That's on Friday. And until next week, folks, be safe, be well. Don't get provoked, and uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Thanks, everybody. See you all later. Take care. Bye-bye.